Jim, you owe me five dollars. I believe you owe me. $5. No, you owe me five dollars. I will say this: I think my past record. It is very easy to prove that you owe me five dollars. Use of puns and play on words. So, when you asked me whether Chris Kreider would be moved, I said yes, knowing that he's either traded, which is moved, or he will resign with the team and be so emotional that he's moved. He missed practice the next day. That's how emotionally moved he was. Wait, how do we know that so he, he was, was emotionally moved, moved he by was. this thing? I mean, you missed practice. I saw him. I, Johnny Gaudreau left practice early. I, exactly. For an that, entirely different bodily so reason. So for that reason, I think it was a no-lose situation for me. And uh, I'm waiting for $5 American. What are you going to spend it on, even if you get it? Five whole dollars American. Kit Kats. <laughs> What? Is that your favorite candy? Depends. I like the single, the ones that are packaged in just a single finger type thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The little minis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like those. I think they have much more concentration of chocolate. (laughs) And the ratio of chocolate to wafer is much greater than the other ones that are kind of thin. I'd have to, this sounds like we require a science experiment. I think what we've settled here is that nobody actually knows who owes who what money. Well, I think, again, I'm going to put it out there to the listeners. Oh, boy. And whether I have ever used a pun before. And if so, if so, then I win the bet. Thank you. All right. Well, I'll start there because I think the most fascinating situation to me on trade deadline day was the New York Rangers, not just because of the Chris Kreider situation, but then you have this car crash with wow. Igor Shosturkin and Pavel Buchnevich. All the while, you're thinking, okay, are they going to move one of their goalies? Then are you going to move Chris Kreider? And if you sign him, who else are you going to move? Like There were so many moving parts there for that front office. We had a very calm trade deadline by comparison to what they had to deal with. Yeah, I think that I think it's pretty obvious to most people that they want to move Lundqvist. Of course, he has the no movement clause and all that stuff going for him, and he's earned that right. He's negotiated that right. But then you have the injury due to the car crash, which is a rib injury. I uh, said not to be too serious, right, non-displaced right. fracture. So it should be okay, but still, I think that certainly eliminated any type of discussions <laughs> the next day. But no doubt. it will obviously bring it towards the summertime when they'll have three uh, quality guys still under contract. Yeah, it's, it's still a situation that needs to be worked out. That, to me, was the most fascinating. What, what, what was the most fascinating thing for you, trade deadline? Like, I asked you before we came in here, like, if you had three, but if it's one or whatever, how many, what, yeah, what, what fascinated you? Well, the fascination is a trade that helps both teams, to me. So the New York Islanders getting Pajot. And then the, New- the Ottawa Senators, I mean, they're Ooh. stocking up. They're, they're, they're just acquiring all these picks and prospects and just they're loaded up. Uh, so that helps both teams. Of course, two teams going in different directions, so you can make that type of a trade. Uh, the other thing, there's two teams that really intrigued me. Tampa Bay, who didn't make any blockbusters, but I think we're looking for a little bit of what they didn't have last year, which is that playoff-style grit, more size, more grinded out. We know that they can beat you with skill. So they just added a few little pieces here and there where they felt it's going to kind of change the overall 
attitude, if anything, of that team and what they can expect from players. Less turnovers, more in your face. And then the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think that they are looking to recreate what they did to win two Stanley Cups in a row under Mike Sullivan. And that is a persistent, on the puck, pressure the puck with speed. Don't worry too much about size. Just get on it, get on it, get on it. And the speed they use is not necessarily for offense. It's more for getting the puck back. Get it back quickly. If you have it, they take it, transition, go the other way, and be as quick as possible. So those intrigue me that way. Uh, again, I think what stage is that team in? You have Latang, you've got Crosby, you've got Malkin. You got to win now. Yeah. So that's what they try and do. Yeah. They are perpetually in win now mode because they have the good fortune of such a deep set of high end guys that they can build around every year. That's the one thing I'll say about Ottawa. They've got seven picks in the first two rounds. But they have very, very little semblance of an NHL team at the moment. And they have to build that over the next three, four years. Clean slate. Oh, completely. But in the cap era, it's going back to the Vegas thing. Right. It's, it's almost the best way to do things. It's the best way because you don't have a lot of contracts holding you down. You don't have cap weight where you can't move guys because they're making too much money. Uh, and the picks you mentioned. Three first round. Right at four the top of the draft. Round. They have San Jose's, right? Yep. And if San Jose looks like they've dismantled, so we assume they're not going to win many games by the end of the year. So the ping pong balls that are going to be in the bingo machine or whatever, it's uh, potentially... They could go one, two. They could go one, two. And you t- with uh, Lafreniere, <sighs> that number one is pretty darn good. That's the, the only thing that gives me pause about where the Kings are at and... and you know, I we had a very quiet deadline day around here. All the work that Rob Blake did was well in advance of the draft, or well in advance of deadline day, I should say. And there wasn't a lot left that he could accomplish on trade deadline day. Yeah, you can send out guys for six, six seven round yeah. picks or whatever, but if teams aren't calling, teams aren't calling. It takes two to tango. And the only thing right now that the Kings are still leaning a lot on is their lottery pick for this coming year. Now, last year they got the good fortune of getting uh, Arthur Kaliev in the second round. Um, but, you know, you, you pick guys like Fagimo in the late first round, Alex Turcott, fifth overall. You, you, as much as you hate to say it, the future of the Kings in some ways rests on the lottery this coming year. It, I think because of the player at the top, it really is a targeted issue. Of course, last year, huh. Huh. the odds, we, we, we dropped the most possible spots. This is why I tell people all the time that are on like, oh, yeah, the Kings should tank. and blah, blah, blah. No, because you still only have an 18% chance if you finish dead last. If you're in the Red Wings position, you have a 1 in 5 chance. Less than a 1 in 5 chance. That's not great odds. It's not great odds, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much in the situation where, you know, you've, you've got to take advantage of timing. Some, you know, it's something you can't predict. It's something that just happens. Uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, it was a different era. I think there may have been, I don't know if there was a lottery. There was not. The Crosby, oh, Bobby gosh, Ryan yeah. year. Of course, now we're trying to figure out, well, I'm watching it and I'm going, 
Anaheim is going to get Sidney Crosby. That did not make me feel very good. Of course, they didn't get him. But I'm getting the feeling that Lafreniere is that type of player. Now, Byfield, who's rated number two, or at least was until recently, also expected to be, and then the depth of the draft, everyone says it's going to be a deep draft. So it's a good draft to have a lot of picks in, and that's what the Kings do. I still think there may be some roster restructuring at the draft and before, you know, the July 1st free agents. I know that the transition period the Kings are going through, you mentioned it, as far as before this year's trade deadline, they they got to a point where, but maybe there might be some still veteran players that are here now, maybe, I'm just throwing, that people feel it fits better at the draft when two teams can sit down and you, you finish the season, the emotions are not there, you're not making a run, you're not going for a rental, you're trying to figure out a hockey trade, and maybe more of those would happen with the Kings then. A couple other interesting things that piqued my attention before we kind of wrap things up with a bow for the Kings. Ilya Kovalchuk to Washington. There are going to be, what, five Russians on that team? That's interesting to me. But the fact that he gets to play with Ovechkin now and chase a cup. I think that's a big part of... There's still uncertainty about Kovalchuk. I think he's proven that he still has it. I remember before he was dealt from the Kings. I said it on here, I think, and if not to other people. I watch Kovalchuk in practice all the time. He's not slowing down. He has not slowed down. Was he in the right spot with the Kings? No, it didn't work out. Contract, direction, transition. Uh, System. The whole, yes, everything like that. And it works somewhere else. That's fine. But I think because Washington who really doesn't have to add, right? They're probably still considered a pretty good contender for the cup, even if they didn't add. I think having multiple countrymen for Elia was a big factor in Brian McClellan pulling the trigger there because he could go to guys and say, you know him personally? Yes. Okay. And get the truth. You're not getting something from a scout who got it from a trainer, who got it from a, uh, an agent. You're getting it from guys who know him. And I think that that little extra insider information goes a long way into making a deal like that when, on a team that didn't necessarily have to make it. No. And Montreal retained salary, yeah. <laughs> the league minimum salary, because Washington was so tight to the cap I mean, to make it work. The team, and I know it's not Kings related, but the team, Carolina added. Yeah, that was my other big one. Hockey hockey trades and rental issues. Trocek, Vatanen, yeah. Shea. Yeah. Now, Vaughton, unrestricted free agent, so that'd be a rental, so to speak. But they've had some injuries, so they're filling holes back on the blue line. But in Trocheck, they get a guy with term left. Uh, I, I, I don't consider them true contenders for the Cup. Uh, not many did last year, and they made it all the way to the final, yeah. semifinals. So. You never know. Yeah. Never well, know. they've got to get their goalies healthy. More on that in a minute. Um, the other thing, Vegas won the Robin Leonard sweepstakes. They're going to try to support Flurry, whose numbers haven't been great. 35 years of age. like Best roster best roster in the Pacific. Yeah. In my mind. Right. No question. I, I think on paper, yeah. So now Alex Martinez has thrived there, yeah, huh? Yeah. And just, they've just got to... They have not been getting the results. Leads to a huge move in Gallant going out and DeBoer going in, but that tells me that something was a little bit off. Uh, not saying dislike or wrong direction, just... We talked about it at the time. I think it had more to do with DeBoer being considered the guy as opposed to Glant 
any type of negative connotation there. More for the positive, and with the roster they have now, I mean, in the Pacific, they have the best roster. So in all, 32 trades. That's a record number on deadline day. 55 players heading into the 3 p.m. Eastern time trade deadline. One final word on the Kings here. One thing that was interesting to me, every destination that the Kings sent players had a former teammate. Muzzin in Toronto. Pearson, Vancouver. McNabb, Vegas. Toby Reeder, for as short a time frame he was with the Kings, still a teammate of Derek Forbert in Calgary. So everywhere the Kings sent somebody, there was a former teammate there to welcome them. And it's it, it might be exactly what we were talking about with Kovalchuk, where, you know, these are um, depth moves, right? Uh, Toffoli would be considered more than a depth move because he's playing in the top six and he's playing with Petr Shun. Mm. So he's uh, he's right there uh, and expected to be an impact player. But, you know, you just, again, you get that inside information. You get the firsthand knowledge from former teammates. And I think that helps the yeah. GM make the selection. So now the Kings have the third lowest cap hit of any team in the National Hockey League this year outside of Ottawa and New Jersey. 11 picks in 2020, 10 picks in 2021, are they done stripping this down? I think they're going to try to continue to do it at the draft. This oh, okay. I think they're going to try. Now, again, there are people that believe, and let's, I'll, I'll name a name just to be in all honesty, Jonathan Quick. Because of the position as a goaltender, I've heard it discussed and explained that many teams feel when they get to the draft, they're planning for the entire next season or with term, for instance, on a player like Jonathan, it's a better scenario then than it is as a rental now and just trying to quick fix your team. There are certain players that fit into that category. Um, and I don't think I'm mentioning any name that hasn't already been mentioned out there, but I think going to the draft. So if the transition of players started just about a year ago, probably just, you know, let's go 14 months ago, uh, I think it will continue into this summer. And then when we get into training camp, I think then we'll know what's going on. It feels like we're right at that turning point. We're close, for sure. Anyway, enough on trade deadline day. We got a lot of other stuff that happened, and I've heard that Jesse Cohen, our producer, has brand new music. So, Jesse, hit it. And we welcome you in to the Utaka Fukufuji podcast studio in El Segundo, California, right next to the employee break room, the LA Kings facility, also next to the PR office. So hopefully they're not listening again today. Otherwise, we'll be in trouble once again. This week, the stadium series, Evander Kane and suspensions, the miracle on ice. But we begin with the big story in the NHL, and it was not the trade deadline. The e-bug. And that's not the coronavirus. It's emergency goaltenders and the story. David Ayers, the Carolina Hurricanes, and unfortunately for the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're now a punchline because they lost to the emergency goaltender who happens to work for the team. Wow. How crazy was that on Saturday night? Intermission was very important for Carolina to get to that intermission because Toronto was getting right there. They go to intermission to make it happen. Phenomenal story. 
I know that for at least a year now, the NHL has been working on, I'm talking about the management, the GMs, on working on a different scenario. And it's very difficult to come up with because that position of goaltending is so unique. Once you get into the game, it's even more unique because I don't know if there's any other sport where a certain position wears completely different equipment than the other positions. So you would have to change. Uh, the player coming in wouldn't be used to that. So what teams are looking to do now, or as a league, they're looking to try to find a way to have a third goaltender, maybe non-roster, so cap doesn't fit, all those, but still would be almost traveling with the team yeah. at all times. What, what's uh, your take on this? Because I want to know, are you in favor of the way it currently is with emergency goaltenders or would you want to see this traveling third goaltender or something like an yeah, established pro? I just can't see it working with the, the, there would be more familiarity with that guy if he was on your roster. But again, I don't think, or non-rostered player that was on your team, I don't think. Like a bullpen catcher. Yeah. And they wouldn't really, I don't think they would participate in practice, so to speak. At least you want your normal guys to get their normal reps. Maybe post-practice, they'd be out there and taking the extra shots because one goaltender usually leaves. The next day's starter usually leaves early. Uh, so it can happen. It's just a very unique uh, situation. I know they're trying to figure it out. I don't have the answer. What, what it does end up in being is a great story. But there's a little bit of a quirkiness to it, too, that you just... In no other sport, no other sport would you have this. Football, you're not going to find some guy out of the stands to be a fourth-string quarterback. Baseball, you have position yeah, but, but, players but, pitching. But, but these backup goaltenders, the emergency goal, aren't out of the stands. They have been selected right, previously. Right, they, yeah. They've had to pass some type of a test. I mean, it's not like you just go up and say, hey, who's played King, Kings had a tryout so, a couple years yeah. ago. So you, you know, but I, I know where you're going, though. I know where you're going. It's it's really weird, and and to that extent, I kind of I don't know if it's positive or negative. Oh, I think it's a huge positive. Well, see, I, think, I don't. When I, is the NHL going to be on the Today Show? Yeah, no, no. The During story, the regular season, no, no. I think the story is great. Yeah, the story that comes out of it. But I think because of the unique situation that surrounds the goaltending position, to come up the answer we're we're looking for is so difficult. But again. It, when, you, when I hear you say no other sport, to me, there's a negative there. It means that, well, you should find an answer to this. It shouldn't be happening that way. But yeah. it's a great story. These guys do come in. We've seen it a couple of times. The guy yeah. in the Chicago, right? Right. Uh, recently. Yeah. So it, it happens. Scott Foster. And they know Accountant. they can handle themselves. Uh, they, they've practiced. He was a you know practice goaltender, but... Uh, playoff positions are reliant, you know, and you're getting <laughs> it to, oh. Can you imagine... If the Leafs, every Leafs fan is thinking this right now, every single one, can you imagine if they miss by one point and Carolina makes it? Going to happen. Can you imagine that? Going to happen. Oh. Talk about a great story then. Oh, oh. my gosh. But, I, I mean, I'm thinking of it from the perspective, too, of what if it happened to my team? And, okay, it'd be a great story. How would you like to be on the other end of that? Yeah, you don't want to be on the other end. Yeesh. I thought the best part of the story was, and it was... Not um, G-rated, but uh, his <laughs> wife, wife's Twitter tweet after <laughs> <laughs> when it happened. Oh my gosh! That was that in two words <laughs> summarized. It was great. Everything. I, you know what? I, my take on this. I love the quirkiness of it, and 
I've been thinking about this in recent days, um, and this is a, maybe a little bit of an aside, and I, I was thinking of getting through this as a topic, but baseball recently with the announcement that there's a consideration of we're going to meddle with our playoff format and change it and make it interactive. Some team can pick their opponent. The NBA looking to tweak their thing. And I'm sitting back and looking at the NHL. The NFL looking to expand their season, right? I'm sick and, sitting back looking at the NHL. And knowing what Gary Bettman loves about this league is that there is, for the first time in a long while, stability, labor-wise, schedule-wise. They're expanding. They're growing. And I think right now, other than some rules tweaks that we've talked about on this podcast, I wouldn't change hardly anything about this league right, right now. They're in such a good space. Mm-hmm. And both sides, I think, are in agreement, right? Mm-hmm. The management side, the ownership side, and the player side, they're both in a pretty good agreement of what's going on. Yep. The only thing we've talked about and mentioned one more time because it happened uh, in the NBA game, Lakers-Celtics, the video review has to have Ugh. a time limit. Yep. It has to. And we've talked about it. And I, we do know that at some point it's going to happen where the winning goal in overtime of the seventh game of the Stanley Cup final is going to happen, and there's going to be a delay to verify the goal. It's going to be the worst. But as long as they can get some time limit set in, uh, you brought it up because you experience it firsthand when you do tennis, just the immediacy of how Mm -hmm. quickly they have to make the call for it. But then also, how much time those video review officials do get. I'm an ex-player. I'm all for getting it right. I, I would hate to be in a situation where... A minute later, they found this new look, and it showed conclusively that the the ruling was incorrect. And but I think the fan experience there's a little bit that that Celtic Laker game. I mean, it was a great fourth quarter, back and forth, one point, two points, hardly three, and then you know twice really long extended delays. So again, that's why I love where this sport is right now, the sport mm-hmm. of hockey. I think they've they've one thing they have nailed. With some bumps in the road, like anything else, but they've nailed this idea of video review. We we've talked about it a lot. Reviews are down, challenges are down, like, and the success rate on challenges has gone up because it's only the obvious ones. I think they have done a phenomenal job in getting this right. Uh, I'm going to move on because we got a lot to cover. Uh, we were at the stadium series. We had glass seats. We're doing radio for Westwood One. Uh, really cool experience. I thought. Um, the only thing I will say that was the most negative thing from our perspective, I know there were others that had trouble getting in the stadium. That's a different story. Uh, toe warmers, completely useless. Hold on. Don't you remember what happened? What? We got onto the plane, and an hour, <laughs> an hour after we now. get onto the plane, <laughs> oh, I'd my taken God. my sticky foot warmers off, the toe warmers, because you they have stickiness to them. Yeah. You put them on the top or the bottom of your toes. I had both covered sides covered. Did not activate at all during the game. Nothing. I get on the plane. Half an hour later, I go to pick them up, and they are red hot. It was like coals. Well, thanks. I need it now. Yeah. That's... I'm going to... I My huge complaint would be to the toe warmer manufacturer. For both of us, they did not work when we were outside. We needed them most. The hand warmers Hand warmers were fine. Yeah, you activated them. You oh, moved yeah. around your hands. Yeah. It was cool, but... Yeah, that was... It was... Uh, I thought it was perfect. I'm not telling anyone anything they don't know if you were there, because you need it to be cold. Mm. That's mm-hmm. hockey. That's yep. why you want that experience outdoors. But the wind was under control. Uh, because the sun had already gone down, you don't have glare. 
I thought the ice conditions were phenomenal. Yep. We were right there. You could just see it. The players, the it was really working well. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the military aspect and the cadets that are there and their chance to be up front and close and personal. It was just a... Uh, and, uh, you know, Tyler Toffoli's hat-trick didn't hurt yeah. either. Oh, that, that, was at all. that was a fun event. It was a fun event. Yeah. I know that there was an issue with folks getting in and out of the yeah, avalanche. Yeah. The avalanche are bearing the brunt of a lot of it, but uh, and I know the Air Force Academy um, had some trouble with it as well. There were warnings to get there super early, and we got stuck in that traffic, and we could understand why, because military base, the parking situation isn't great there, even for Air Force football games, I've heard. Um, but there are some folks demanding refunds. Uh, yeah. So, you know, just a cautionary tale for every, whoever wants to host next. Every local news channel, the previous day, the day of the game, when I was watching, that's all they were talking about was parking and how difficult it was going to be. If it was a surprise to you, then that's your fault. But I still understand people being oh, ticked yeah. off with what, what happened yeah. there because of it just went too long. Yeah. It went too long. It, it, went, it wound up being... A mini disaster for those who missed a good chunk of the game, and I don't blame them for for asking for a refund. What about our swag bag? Oh man, thank you, L.A. Yes. Kings. Beautiful. Oh my gosh, did we get hit with just amazing swag? Beautiful. Everything the players got. Here's an interesting one, and then I'll move on. Uh, note in Elliot Friedman's column last week before the trade deadline, the Arizona Coyotes are pushing for a game in Mexico City at the Estadio Azteca, or maybe somewhere else. I, I don't like warm. You did the two stadium. You were, you were there for the two stadium series here in California. What did you think of those? I, warm weather, outdoor hockey, just and you were there for Caesar's Palace in '91. Yep, I, I, Dodger Stadium is iconic. Sure. So we're down there before the game, and you're on the pitcher's mound, and you're looking up. The view, looking up, it reminded me. I mentioned at the time, like. I was Russell Crowe in Gladiator. <laughs> I was looking up, and you could just see the the, the decks and the yeah. tiers and their surround. But baseball stadiums, because they're not symmetrical to the way the ice rink fits, it just you know you can get some bad seats there. So that's a complete experience. Yeah, I, I think I think the Colorado Springs cold. You need that. And it was a perfect size stadium, about 45,000 yep. people. Yep. It was a pretty intimate bowl. We are we got the Mexico City altitude thing. That, that yeah, would be, that's true. I That'd mean, be something we, to consider. Walking up those stairs at the Air Force Oof, Academy, that was a little... You could feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And I know they've been talking about, you know, can we get the Florida teams to do an outdoor game? Humidity is an issue with the ice making there. I'm, I'm, I don't like warm weather stadium games for outdoor hockey. Do it in cold weather cities. Even if you have to repeat some of them, when Seattle comes in, that'll be another opportunity to do an outdoor thing. I, I just the I understand for a team like yeah. Arizona to want to do something like that. Here's where it can work. I and this is my opinion. I think the next stadium series game after Carolina should be at uh, Army West Point, and it should be the Vegas Golden Knights against the New York Rangers. Bill Foley connection to the Army. That the whole idea of the Black Knights. That's why I named the Golden Knights. Mm -hmm. Put them against the Rangers, Mikey Stadium, Hudson Valley. Perfect. Perfect to me. This is what I would do because I've been there before. I would put up bleachers for 25,000 people on the beach in Manhattan Beach. Oh, I love this idea. I've heard this before. I love this idea. And that's where I'd have it. I I think that's brilliant. Now, it would only be 25,000. Sure. They've done it before for AVP events and back in the day. 
I don't know if the bleachers were actually 25, but the a lot of people yeah. around. It They've gets got the infrastructure. Just, I, you know, that, that to me is something I, that would now change my warm weather. the attraction. Yeah, and we can get a nice uh, January night when it yeah. you know, drop to like 62 degrees. <laughs> but, it gets it gets in the fifties sometimes here. <laughs> the waves coming up again. Oh, I soften up, Jim. Whenever it, when it, whenever there's that little chill in the air, and I'm in the South Bay, I'm like, oh man, I could really use a coat right now. And I've I've to all my East Coast friends, they're like, oh, you soften up. Yeah, yeah, I have. All right, let's keep going. Um, this was a topic we talked about big time on the plane back. I believe it was from Winnipeg. Um, Evander Kane, former Winnipeg Jet. Um, pretty. Blunt comments about the Department of Player Safety. Uh, I'm going to read his comment, and then I know we had a great discussion about what the um, what the players are thinking right now about Department of Player Safety. Because let's be honest, none of them ever like punishment. But here's what he said. Um, st- uh, let's see. Da-da-da-da. There is a major lack of consistency with the NHL Department of Player Safety. A completely flawed system in so many ways, from suspensions to appeal rights. It is baffling to me how we as players agreed to this. You can't continue to give some players a pass and throw the book on others. There has to be an outside third party making these decisions to remove the bias that transpires in this department headed by George Peros. None of it makes any sense. The context of this, he got a three-game suspension for a clear elbow that deserved a suspension. But then he goes off and spouts out against the Department of Player Safety. What's your take on this? Completely unprofessional. Unneeded. If you have a beef, don't get personal. By mentioning George Peros by name, I think it was a personal attack as opposed to an attack on bias. He mentioned, and also, Vander, pick your battles. You went into contact. You extended your elbow well away from the normal width of your shoulders. I don't know if there's a better example of targeting the head that I've ever seen than that one right there. Yes, there may be some inconsistencies, but I know given the opportunity... Player safety can't explain their thought process. At the end of it, I know there's a lot of players that don't agree with the explanation, but it is there. And we will talk about it one more time, and we'll probably talk about it again. I think the only addition that player safety needs to do is this, is three to five times a week, you take an example of a play that was not deemed to be fit the criteria for supplemental discipline and explain why not. The explanations they put out on the why it should be and why it is and how many games I think are well done, detailed. But if they could do the same thing in reverse, this reason for this reason, this was not deemed to be into the criteria of uh, supplemental discipline. I think that would go a long way to the process of educating and eliminating what Evander Kane feels is inconsistency. I would tend to believe that every time the regime changes, meaning the head of that department changes, I think there is a subtle move in how they view things. But I would think that they are more consistent now than they've ever been. Oh, and they've built up a case history. Yes. That's the thing, that with all these explanation videos, they it, it's hard to contradict themselves. We did it with uh, Reinhardt in Buffalo. I'm, yeah. I'm going to give Evander a little media 101 training here. Uh, it's unfortunate that I... Use my elbow to make that head contact. 
I think I've seen similar cases around the league at the time. And I look forward to discussing that with George Peros, where he can help me and I can help him and hopefully move on in the future so these things can be dealt with on a more consistent basis. I don't like to pick and choose social media responses. I I have a take on this. And I I think this is, I saw this on Twitter. Um, But this one really spoke to me. Hey, Evander. Stop throwing elbows at the head and you won't have to worry about it. The NHLPA should be more concerned that their members are regularly attacking each other with dangerous plays and then have to sit there and defend it. It's a strong take, it's a good but, take. but I, I, I like that point of view of just like, well, if you don't want to get suspended, don't throw a high elbow. Right. <laughs> he, he used the wrong example yes. to try to make his case Agreed. because this one was pretty clear cut to me. Um, and, and when I mentioned Reinhardt and I mentioned Mr. Kane here, uh, Evander, it's, I know at the moment there's emotions that happen, but then you can fix it the next day when the emotions are gone. You can, you can reassess and offer another verbal opinion on what just took place. And I think when you're more under control, again, Evander probably doesn't feel that way. And I know there are players that feel that, you know, the inconsistency. Having been a player rep, and he mentioned, I don't know how the players agreed to this. I know how it is because as a player rep, I would go back to information to our players and distribute the information. They wouldn't listen. They didn't care. You ask them the next day what you discussed, no idea. So I'm making the assumption that similar communications, nowadays it's a little easier because they can send clips to all these players via email. We didn't have that when I was playing in player rep. You had to just hold an actual meeting. and uh, But I, I think that you know, he, he, he's raising a point, and the point is, if he disagrees with what they agreed to, he has to bring that up in a formal setting uh, with, you know... He's Mr. stating Mr. his Fair. point of yeah. view. I don't like the way he does it. I, 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 he was too personal. Yeah. Now, again, you know, when he heard about it, you're mad, you're emotional, you do it. I can live with that. But the next day, you've got to come out with... Uh, I look forward to sitting down with George Peros at a later date so we can figure out and get on the same page here. And you know, Part of the reason why he wasn't thrilled is it was almost exactly a year prior, Kane got elbowed in the face by Zidane Chara. It went unpenalized in the game. Right. There was no hearing, no discipline, and Kane missed several games. And just days prior to this year, Chara got yep. fined for a cross-check that looked fairly violent. Yes. And so he, I, I'm, I'm just making the assumption that he's connecting the dots saying, whoa, he didn't get suspended for that, and I'm getting suspended for this? What? Player safety did make the announcement in both cases, and they talked about height differential. And Zidane would be one of the few players. I'm not saying I agree with it, especially with a cross-check, but they did have a tangible reason why they felt it was not suspendable. He got five grand, a fine, which is, yeah. not, you know, he did get supplemental discipline, but uh, they, they, and they, they know, players know, that if there is a huge discrepancy in size, that can be used as one of the factors. You can disagree with how they use that rule at that time. Exactly. But uh, that was the reasoning for it. There was a tangible reason. You can disagree with the reason. I'm sure he does. I just I don't want to see us going back to players exacting vigilante justice. That to me is a step backwards for the league because that's how it. Was in your area, yeah, and, and 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 you know there are some players that are still around. We've talked to them, yeah. and they 
they wouldn't mind it going <laughs> no, back to that way. <laughs> but those are usually the guys that have been around exactly. a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I think as a league in the 21st century, having a Department of Player Safety, which, granted, they operate kind of on their own anyway. Yeah, they're, they're getting consultation from Hockey Ops and Colin Campbell and all that, but they're, they're chartered with doing this on their own without having the commissioner or the or a guy like Cohen Campbell and hockey right. operations to have to chime in like they're tasked mm-hmm. with being able to handle this stuff on their own it's kind it's not yeah. independent but and the appeal process I'm sure some yeah. of the offic- uh, some of the players have a problem with that but sure. that's what collective bargaining is for that's when you go in and make that a priority that we need to change this process so if it goes to an appeal you're not appealing to Gary Bettman you're appealing right. to a third party right. independent group y'all have a CBA negotiation. Use it. All right, one more before we uh, before we hit to some questions. This week, a big celebration, or the last week or so, was the uh, 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. And I've I've always been curious because it was before I was born, and we always, you know, we we see the the film from from ABC Sports, and then we see the Disney movie come out. I've been curious this week. What was that like from a Canadian point of view? Because we've talked about your experiences with Russia and how almost personal it that sort of thing was for you at the time. But ni- take me back to 1980 and that experience. It was interesting once again for me because in 79, I played in the World Junior Championships. And there was a handful of players on the Russian team that I played against. The Krutovs, the Larionovs, uh, and Yari Curry was playing for Finland. And I played against them. So I had a little bit but. It really was, to me, I was in Ottawa at the time, playing my last year junior. I remember watching the final game, which was the game against Finland. I remember not thinking much about it at all because in Canada, we weren't able to use our best players because the best players were professionals. At that time, Canada really didn't have a process to develop and put together a national team they did, but it was kind of makeshift. Well, and your, your thing was the Summit Series, too, that happened before then. So you had already had a crack at the Russians. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, I didn't, I, it was, a, it was in the back of my mind. But then I remember watching the gold medal, well, the last game against Finland, and I'm going, guys, don't blow it. I mean, don't <laughs> blow it. You got this far. You can't blow it. So I found, found myself cheering for the U.S. team, where previous to the, you know, I just didn't have, I didn't have any thoughts about the U.S.-Russia. I knew what was going on, the turmoil in the world. I knew the political things, but it didn't hit me. Canada had removed itself from that discussion. The Olympics weren't, weren't that important. And then I found myself watching on my bed, in my bedroom, in Ottawa, and going, jumping up and down on the bed going, guys, you can't blow it. And they were behind. Yeah, they were. Feeling <laughs> they were. So I'm going, no, you can't. You can't beat one of the best teams ever assembled. And then, and you know there could be a, an emotional letdown. I mean, oh, let's face it. Completely. But, so I was, I was engaged. Way more than I, than I thought I would be. And it wasn't until their chance to win the gold against Finland that I, I was just, I was in it. Jim, you know what it. you've just revealed to me? Mm-hmm. You rooted for the underdog. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> well, they weren't the underdog against Finland, were they? Eh, they were. Okay, it's, yeah. It's Finland. I heard, uh, I think it was Lou Vero talking about it. Though, or he was I don't tape. know about underdog, but, they, it, yeah, you know. <laughs> they certainly weren't the favorite. No. 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 <laughs> Not a heavy favorite by any stretch. It's, oh, I got you. I got you on one. Yep. All right, let's get to some questions here. We we got a lot because the, the LA Kings Twitter account retweeted us. Um, so a ton poured in. So I'm going to see if we can get through this 
Uh, I can do, I'm going to put a clock on myself. Okay. So that, which is, goes against the whole reason you do a podcast. Right. Because a podcast, you have a chance to explain yourself, but to get to as many questions Yeah, I want to get possible, to as many as possible. And, you, and we'll just try to put like a, a yeah. limit. And yeah, we'll do like 30, 30 to 60 yeah. seconds. Okay. Uh, favorite sport to watch other than hockey? Uh, this is from Chris Ramirez. Soccer. For me, it used to be baseball. Um, I I do watch tennis, but not a ton outside of the Grand Slam. I work in the sport, obviously. Um, I still like watching college basketball. March Madness yeah. to me. I, I stay glued to it uh, during the tournament. The most amazing sporting event I have ever been to outside of hockey in the Stanley Cup championships. The Women's World Cup. Oh, yeah. Final. Oh, you went to that in 99? Rose Bowl. Wow. My wife Susie and I were sitting in the end zone. Now I'm going past my 30 seconds, but this is a story. <laughs> okay, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in the end zone where the Chinese delegation was. So all the so we're in that end wow. zone. With about 10 minutes remaining in the second overtime period, because they're going to go to the shootout, I saw all the photographers coming to our end of the field. We're only about 20 rolls up from where Brandy Chastain took off her, her, her jersey. I, we were right there. Wow. But I noticed all the photographers coming over and I said, the penalty kicks are going to be at this end if if there are penalty kicks. And I was so, <laughs> but just that whole 100,000 people. And uh, that that was a great experience. Oh, wow. I, That's cool. Bucket list, Premier League game. Okay. Haven't been yet. We'll, we'll get you there. Yeah. That's uh bucket list. Yeah, you, that, there's there's enough overlap in Tottenham's August. new stadium. Go. I hear is phenomenal. Yeah, so. I got Craven. So Fulham's my team. Okay. Craven Cottages, if if they're in, <laughs> they've been relegated. Uh, if you weren't in the industry, this is from uh, uh, from Kea. If you weren't in the industry you currently work in, what would you be doing? Teaching, school. Mm-hmm. I think that's. Uh, I have two uh, two brothers that are teachers. Uh, I just think that would fit. What I would. Uh, Fits my personality a little bit, and uh, not a lawyer, huh? You've got a, you've you got know, a very lawyer's uh, demeanor. You know, that's a, that's a, that's you a good do point. like picking apart statements that other people make who tend I, to sit next to you on television. Uh, like uh, Lauren Weedmeyer, who used to work for us, I would uh, continue my legal education at night and come up with a legal degree at some point while I was teaching. Uh, I like it. I like it. I would be a management consultant because that was my first job out of college, and I had always had the idea of I want to solve problems. And I will solve the world's problems and you'll pay me handsomely to do it. And then you won't fix it and I can go off and solve somebody else's problems. It's a, it's a great thing because you, you're never responsible. There's no <laughs> you just better, lay the thing out. No better word in anyone's <laughs> title than consultant. Oh my gosh, you're never word. responsible for the final production. I love it. Um, Scott asks, the Canadian flag's color is red, with some white obviously, the only color in the flag is red. Is this to honor the country's love of ketchup? Ah, I would never, ever, ever, though, spill ketchup on the Canadian flag. That oh, would be disrespectful. That would be really disrespectful. But if I did, I would do it on the maple leaf so you wouldn't be able to see it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I can't answer that question because uh, I'm not a Canadian. Uh, Joel Goodling, our producer, pregame and postgame Fox Sports West, and actually a couple of others uh, asked, uh, your favorite getaways, uh, Scott uh, asked this as well, favorite getaways, favorite vacations, Southern California or oh, otherwise? Now you're getting me. Favorite place to have a glass of wine in the world is the uh, Piazza in Siena, Italy. Ooh. Uh, never been to, pa- to the Palio where they have the horse races because it doesn't fit my schedule, but I can imagine how great that would be. Uh, I'm, 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 I think I am have a beer outside of the Colosseum in Rome was just phenomenal. Just, just, to, just to look up and see. 
Uh, if I won the lottery, I'd probably have a place in the Amalfi Coast or up uh, near Cinque Terre Ooh. with the Santa Margarita. I know Frank Sinatra had a place right there, and I think I realize why he did. Now, I can drive up to Palos Verdes here, and you get the same type of views and the, almost the same topography, but there's something different when you're on vacation. I loved Japan. I thought it was a fascinating country to visit, and I would love to go back. Domestically, one of the places that I really want to go back to is Alaska, especially in the summertime. It is amazing. Uh, you want to talk about topography and just just totally different environment. Uh, it was amazing. I, I would love to go back. Getting caught in a rainstorm, like a storm. It just started coming down, cats and dogs, just outside of Bone in mm. Burgundy. We went on a wine tour of wineries on our bicycles. And we went about halfway through, we were going, and they just started coming down. Never had more fun in my whole life. <laughs> it was great. And back then I had, you know, I was How still, drunk were you? Yeah, well, no, we were, it was, you gotta, you gotta yeah, I know. maintain I that bicycle. Yourself. You gotta pace you yourself. And the road was a little wet, so you, but I'll tell you, we, we went to one and I was still just coming off of playing then and we're close to it. And I had still had some pretty good legs, you know, some muscles and I remember stopping and having a picnic right outside one of the wineries. My wife speaks fluent French. The guy comes out. And uh, he he says uh, to her, "Hey, you mind if my your husband stays by and, and with those legs and helps me pick grapes?" And, <laughs> and I said, "Okay, I'll do that." Yeah, that's no amazing. Uh, Sloopy asks, "Seriously, why do hockey players wear suits and ties? It's not like they grow into work in an office or something." Yeah, that's just the general respect I think that has been part of the traditional aspect of hockey. To the point where uh, you just, in a country like Canada, I think that's where it stems from. It's it's different now, you know, with all the Canadian kids going to the NBA and high draft. But back when it was the one sport that you aspired to play and be a professional. And if you ever made it, then you would dress like that. You would dress in total respect. And I think that just carried on. Yeah. I like it. I, I, I really like the, the dress code in the NHL. I think we are showing up to jobs, right? And we are behaving as professionals. We don't want to look slovenly as we head into our place of work. And we do want to have respect for the environment we have. I got one more. Okay. And we'll finish. When will we start seeing Fox and Faust at the flicks? Wow. I think that would be, that would be, you know what? That would be very enjoyable because I know that we're different generations, and I, I, I definitely respect your opinion of the arts. And I have a lot of deep opinions, too, about movie making. And, and, and I can't, this is what happened to me because of the Valentine's Day oh, gosh. marathons that they play. Can you imagine? Like, for years, for years, my favorite movie is Pulp Fiction. Just absolutely loved it. Loved the dialogue, like the writing. I'm a big Tarantino fan, but I really didn't know that he was the writer back then. When I watched that, I didn't see Reservoir Dogs until after I saw Pulp Fiction. And then since, but, well, I find myself watching Titanic. And that's kind of moving up my list. <laughs> oh it's it's there one and two now with, Alert how masses. can both of those movies go together? I, they don't, but. 
Titanic yep. over Pulp Fiction. I know. I, I just want uh, Tim, slap me. I just want Tim, our engineer, to, to cut off the part where after it says, "I respect your opinion," and then write just <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah. after that. Exactly. And then and then we can go on from there. I, I actually it would be fun because Bob and Nick at the flicks that was the thing back in the day. And I know Prime that you ticket. haven't seen a lot no, of the movies I'm not a big I've movie seen. Guy. So so it would be interesting. Yeah. Too. If I'm going to live in L.A., I gotta I gotta watch more movies. So yeah. I'll, I'd be open to to something like that. And. It's with that, unless you got anything else, Jim, I think we're going to end. Speaking of movies, every time I'm going to Staples Center, I'm taking that on-ramp from <laughs> yeah, exactly. the 105 La La to La the Land, 110, right? yeah. and I want to get out of my car and get on, you know, start dancing <laughs> I think and about singing. that every time. So, yeah. I think, how cool is this? We're driving on the on-ramp from that yeah. movie. That's kind of neat. All right, well, we encourage everybody, hit that subscribe button, uh, and we'll have more episodes as we hit towards the end of the regular season here and maybe on into the postseason. We both work playoffs for, for the network on radio and TV, so uh, we'll be around the rinks. We'll be able to see a lot going on in the NHL, but still a lot to get done here for uh, the Kings towards the end of the regular season. We thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.